0: Hey everyone, this is Chris Vault, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Pursuit Podcast, where our passion is to inspire and equip you with biblical truths as you pursue after the heart of God. Well, I want you to take your Bibles, and I want us to go together to the book of Daniel. Last week, we began a brand new series of messages. We're calling it Escape in Babylon. And our goal is to look back at this time period about 600 years before Christ, and we're looking at how uh, these Hebrew boys, Daniel, you've heard these names before Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It's funny that some of you memorized Daniel by his Jewish name, but you memorized his buddies by their Babylonian names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Isn't that weird, right? I mean, but really. Their, name, their Jewish names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we're studying how these young men were taken captive and sent to Babylon and were uh, just entrenched in Babylonian culture. The goal was to conform them away from following God and away from their Jewish belief system and their Jewish way of living and conform them into Babylonian. And yet, if you know the end of their story, At the end of the story, when they got through all that indoctrination, they didn't look more Babylonian. They came out unscathed and were a testimony for their God. In in fact, they became the influencers in their culture, not the influencee. And that is the whole goal of why we're studying Daniel. Babylon uh, became known, ancient Babylon, for lots of things. For one, they... They were known for their incredible architecture, their amazing landscaping. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar created some a garden, landscaping a garden. It was called the Hanging Gardens for his sick wife, one of his sick wives. And the Hanging Gardens became one of the great seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, They were known for their advances in technology and education, but they were also, uh, Babylon also became synonymous with evil world empires with how to conquer a people and then conform them into who you, cho- who you chose for them to become. To, to take them out of their world and conform them to yours. And when you read about Babylon in the Bible, you see that Babylon is represented after this time period as a, as a world system or as a godless culture. In fact, you go to the end of your Bible, to the book of Revelation and John... The apostle is writing there and God gives him a vision of the end times before Jesus comes back. And he actually talks about how the systems of the world will be so godless. The culture will become so wicked against the ways of God that when Jesus returns and conquers Satan and Satan is finally defeated, an angel is going to declare from heaven, watch this, watch this, he's going to declare Babylon the Great has fallen. And he's talking about the world systems. That's how Babylon has also become known. And, and for the, this series, that's what I want to talk to you about. How do we live godly in a godless culture? Last week, I gave you this statement. We're going to put it up on the screen as a reminder. I want everyone to say it out loud with me. Come on, everyone. You cannot control the culture, but you can control Your heart. I believe this is so vital to us in our faith, especially those of us who are followers of Jesus. We can't control the culture, but we can keep the culture from controlling us. That's the message you're going to find here when you read the book of Daniel. They are they are saturated into this new culture, this new system of beliefs, these new social norms. But it didn't change their heart, and they kept their faith in God. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, no matter how wicked our world seems to become, nothing can control your heart but you. You still have control over your heart. So I want you to hear me when I say this. Whenever you feel pressure from the culture, whether it's the culture at work, the culture at school, the culture in your friend group, the culture with the people you hang out with, or even the culture of society as a whole. Whenever you feel that others are putting pressure on you to, for you to change your belief system, for you to change your behavior away from following the ways of God and conform to the ways of the world, listen to me, there's no way in this world you can't face that opposition and not feel emotionally charged up about it. There's no way you can keep from feeling defensive to an extent. We all get riled up a little bit. Say amen. Now, your pastor's Cuban. I used to say German. Then I was told, no, our family's actually crossed the borderline in the Netherlands. So whatever that's called. But anyway, either way you go, it means I can get riled up pretty quick. And I want to say, here's the problem. And the reason why we need to talk about this is because the natural reaction, I believe, for far too many. Let me say it this way also. We have people watching our online services from other countries other than just America. In fact, we haven't done this in a while, but the last time we did the research, uh, every week, throughout the week, we would have anywhere from 19 to 21 countries who would view our online services every single week. Can we welcome those people in right now? That is absolutely mind-boggling to me. Out of Jackson, Missouri, right? Right? But here's what I can say for us as Americans. I can't speak to other cultures. I can speak to us. Here's what we see in the American church, it seems like, at least. We jump to one or two extremes when we feel that our culture is coming in opposition to our faith and our belief, our walk with God. On one side, we get angry. We get angry. We get resistant. We, we become attacking in our vocabulary. We're attacking People online, we, we get aggravated, we get frustrated. I understand it, but I'm not gonna say that that's the proper response, right? But we can't help but get emotionally charged and far too often what we're known for now is, is our resistance and our anger, our slander, our being argumentative. The other extremism is this, people become overwhelmed by the culture. And they all of a sudden feel like, well, I don't have a voice anyway. I can't stand for what I believe in anyway. They're gonna do what they're gonna do. And we start backing up into a corner, twilling our thumbs, and just saying, I can't wait for Jesus to come and deliver us out of this mess. And so the two big extremes that you see is anger, and the other one is apathy. Jesus, just hurry up and get us out. And I want to I make this argument with us this morning, going from the word of God as we're studying the life of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, perhaps there's a better way to respond. Perhaps there's a better way to respond, and we don't have to respond in anger, nor do we have to respond with apathy. Perhaps there's a better way to respond. Here's one thing I, I hear so often. I hear people who swing over to the apathy side and just wish Jesus would hurry up and just hurry up and get us out of this mess. It, it's, it's sometimes they'll make a statement like this. I just wish we could go back to simpler times. I just wish we could go back to a time when life was easier and people were more moral and more godly and, and you know when America seemed like it was more of a Christian nation. I, I saw a post on Instagram the other day of, 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 of Uncle Sam kneeling at a cross and, and, and I love that aspect, but, but I was a little troubled by the next piece of it. It said, we need to pray for America to come back to God. Now, now I want to talk about perspective for a moment, and I know I'm going to upset a few of you, and that's okay. I can get over it. Uh, and I mean this in love. But I need you to understand, there's never been a time in our culture that we were godly. we got to understand perspective. Culture has never been godly. Now, now here's what happens. Here's what happens. There are some uh, social and philosophical ideas that are being pushed on our culture today that we get really emotionally aroused about and and upset about. We get emotionally uh, charged up about this and say, man, I I don't like this, I'm angry about this. I wish we could go back to a time when that was non-existent. And there are times in our history where the issues we're dealing with today were not even talked about, all right? And you can pick a a whole number of issues, right? And say, well, there was a time when that was an issue. Here's what we have to remember. Here's perspective. Mayberry is fictional. It has never truly existed. (laughs) Because even when you go back, and you can go back to any generation, no matter how far you go back in our history, yes, some things that we struggle with today weren't there. But they had other evils in their time that they were struggling with. There's never been a time when there wasn't evil to deal with. We in our history at one point segregated an entire people group because of the color of the pigmentation of their skin. That wasn't godly. That was evil. Are y'all with me today or is that too deep, too hard on you? There was a time when we shamed women for having a voice and we had we were a nation of gender inequality where women didn't have a voice and couldn't vote and we were men were all afraid that a woman was going to usurp the authority of the man. How foolish were we? Just ask any married man in church today. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, someone will say to me, Pastor, I feel like I was born in the wrong time. I needed to have been born back in the days of Matt Dillon. <laughs> By the way, Matt Dillon was fictional, I want you to know. And, and, and listen, do you really want to go back that far? I mean, you want to grow up without air conditioning? <laughs> Indoor plumbing? Come on, somebody. Let's get serious about it for a moment, though. Do you know, in that time period, we were so ungodly that we enslaved people and was so argumentative about that idealism that we divided an entire nation. Was that of God? No. Listen, I love our pilgrims. I love the fact that they came to this country to found found it, to find it, whatever, they came to establish a land <laughs> where they had the freedom to worship God. I love that. And I loved our forefathers. I, I applaud our forefathers being so bold, many of them, to say they believed in God and they believed in the Bible. And we call this, in God we trust, we put in God we trust on our money and God bless America. And, and, and so many had godly ideas and, and a heart after God. And would call themselves Christian. But when we founded this country, the culture wasn't Christian. And, and there was evils in that day. Just go talk to our Native American brothers and sisters of what we did to them in the founding of our country and, and how we almost annihilated an entire people group and drove them off their land. Was God in that? No. Now, I know that upsets some of you. Our deacons will pray with you after service. <laughs> but, but I want us to have the right perspective. Are you with me today? And I want you to hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. I want you to hear what I'm saying. What I'm saying is your identity's not in the culture, and there's never been a time when culture was godly. We have been dealing with sin and evil since the Garden of Eden, and ladies and gentlemen, instead of getting angry with culture and instead of being apathetic and saying, oh, I was born in the wrong time, Jesus, please hurry and get me out of this, perhaps there's a better perspective we need to hold. And this is a perspective I believe Daniel held along with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah when you open the Bible to the book of Daniel. And I believe they were holding on to the words of an ancient Jew named Mordecai who gave a great words of advice to his niece Esther when she was being forced to marry a pagan, godless king. And Mordecai came to her in her distress. And said these words what if you have come to this position for such a time as this you see I'm just going to tell you right up front I believe enough in the sovereignty of God that I don't believe a one of you were born out of time I believe you are here. I believe CPC is here. I believe all the blessings we're receiving is from God. I believe you and I are here in this moment, in this culture, right where we're supposed to be. Because I don't believe that we were, that God messed up. I don't believe God woke up this morning going, oh man, when did she get there? Oh, I missed it. Right now, and when he saved you, he didn't save you by, by accident, it's on purpose. And, and I believe the right perspective is for us as Christians to understand in America, and to my brothers and sisters watching in other countries, wherever you are, I believe we were here for such a time as this, not to be influenced by the culture, not to be known for our anger and our argumentative spirit, nor to be hiding in a cave somewhere waiting for Jesus to hurry up and get us out of this mess. I believe we're to be hands-on in the moment, and we be the influencer, not the influence e. I believe this is what the Bible teaches. It's all about perspective. Here's something you need to know. This is tweetable, by the way. The past isn't necessarily better. It's just different. It's just different than what you're going through right now. And in the next generation, they'll look back at this time period, Lord, if he doesn't come back before then, and say, man, they had it better than they thought they did. Now, I understand we get emotionally charged, but I believe the idea is we need to keep a handle on our perspective. I want you to open your Bibles now to 1 Daniel chapter 1, and let's look at Daniel's perspective here. Now, remember the background of this. Remember the context It's about 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, overtakes Jerusalem, destroys the city, takes some of the young Jewish men back to Babylon as captives. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah are in that group. When they go back, they are put into three years of indoctrination. The whole goal is to rid them of their Jewish identity, rid them out of their Jewish faith, rid them from their Jewish history and legacy, Their names were changed. They were forced into castration. They became eunuchs. They were forced to serve a pagan king. They had to learn the Babylonian religion. They had to learn the Babylonian history. They had to learn the Babylonian culture. So they're being faced with all kinds of new norms. They weren't allowed to speak Hebrew. They had to learn an entire new language. Total conformity. By the way, on your worst day here in our culture is better than Daniel's best day in his culture. And I want you to get this context. Here was Daniel's perspective. Look with me at Daniel chapter one, verse one and two. Here's how he begins the book. It's absolutely mind boggling. First, he starts off historical. Let's read it. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem, laid siege to it. Now we're going to get the true perspective. Are you ready? Read the next line with me here and on can- online. Come on. The Lord handed king Jehoiakim of Judah over to him. What? Are you serious? Did we read that right? Daniel said, "God let a pagan king conquer God's city, Jerusalem, handed the Jewish king over to a Babylonian. Is that right? Can we be reading that right? Here's what you need to understand. For years, God at this point had been sending prophets or preachers to Judah because they had become complacent in their walk with God. They'd become complacent in following the ways of God. And over and over and over again, prophet and preacher would come and tell people to repent and get back to God. Over and over again, they became stiff-necked and wouldn't do it. And what Daniel understood was, is at times, God will allow pressure. God will even allow pressure to come from godless sources in order to put pressure on his people to wake them out of their slumber, repent of their sin, and return back to him. And Daniel says he understood that this was going to be a season that they weren't going to enjoy and they weren't wanting to be a part of, but it was a season God allowed them to go to to turn the hearts of Judah back to God. And so I want you to understand what? Daniel and his friends did. They took on the heart and the idea that they were ambassadors in Babylon for God. In fact, if you got your message notes, here's what I want us to write down. This is what I believe for us as Christians. We need to start seeing ourselves in our culture today as ambassadors for Jesus to the world. This is who God has called us to be. We're to come into our culture today and represent the God we serve. We're to represent Jesus. We're to show them what God can do in someone's life. And we're to show them some salt and some light in the midst of the darkness. Look with me at 2 Corinthians, or at Daniel chapter one, we read that. Look with me now down at 2 Corinthians 5.20. Read this with me. Ready, go. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God, watch this, watch this, watch this. God is making his appeal through who? Through who? Through us in this culture. God is making his appeal through us. And what, is the, what is the appeal? We plead on Christ's behalf. Say it with me. Come on. Be reconciled to God. Do you mean to tell me that God could allow even our culture to become Influence the way it is so that we who name the name of Christ may get serious about our faith and rise up and let God start speaking through us to the people living in darkness and tell them, be reconciled to God. Absolutely. Beyond the shadow of a doubt. Because let me tell you something. Your Christianity identity better not be in politics. Your identity better not be in the culture. If you are a child of the king, you are in a higher line of royalty than any political party or national citizenship. It is Christ first than anything else in your life. Look with me at Philippians 3.20. Read this out loud with me. Ready? Come on, online campus. Read it too. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, and he's not a politician. Come on. It's not going to be whoever's next on the ballot. What's his name? He's the Lord Jesus Christ, the one we represent, the one we serve, the one we pledge allegiance to, is King of kings and Lord of lords and every nation and every people group around this world who names the name of Jesus is now a part of one citizenship, one family in heaven. And our responsibility is to look at the world and the culture we live in and understand this, before I'm an American, I'm Christian. Are you all with me? And my goal is now to represent Christ in this culture. We are ambassadors. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you got a high calling to represent Jesus. Now, here's what we have to do. Number two in your message notes, this is what Daniel and his friends did. They approached this godless culture with godly character. And this has got to become our response as disciples of Jesus We've got to respond to a godless culture with godly character. I love Daniel 1.8. Now, I've told you about how they tried to indoctrinate Daniel and his friends, right? I told you about education, religion, changed their name, changed their identity, stripped them of their pride, their manhood, their legacy. One of the other things they did was they threw the food of the king on their table, and they had to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine, Now, you might say, that part's not so bad. Well, it was because much of the food that the Babylonians would eat were those forbidden by the Jewish food rights, right? The Mosaic Law. And so they couldn't eat those foods. And the wine. They couldn't drink the wine either. You say, well, what what was wrong with the wine? Well, Jewish culture was it's not a sin to drink wine. It is a sin to get drunk, and to this day, you find this in the New Testament too. The wine's not the issue, drunkenness is, because anything you give yourself contr- uh, control over your life other than the Holy Spirit is sin. Anything that's influencing your decision-making other than the Holy Spirit is sin. And, and so it's not the wine that's the problem, it's the drunkenness. And so what Jewish culture would do was, is Jewish culture would dilute the wine and most of the time it was like this, three parts water to one part wine so they could still drink the wine but man you had to drink a bunch of it before you got tipsy. Come on somebody. They're diluting it. Here's the problem in the Babylonian culture they wouldn't let them dilute the water, dilute the wine with water. And so they knew they couldn't go. I can't eat that food, and I'm not going to drink that wine because I'm not going to give myself over to that indulgence. And so watch, look at what Daniel does in eight. Look at the verse with me. Daniel determined, shouted, determined, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, and so he asked permission for the chief eunuch not to defile himself. What did he do to the chief eunuch? Did you catch it, what you just read? What did he do to the chief eunuch? He asked... Permission. Notice what Daniel did not do. He did not create a protest. He did not riot. He did not pout. He didn't get angry. He didn't get angry at the Babylonians. He didn't get angry at God. He didn't refute his faith and say, God, where are you? If you can't take me out of this mess, God, I'm just done with you. He didn't do any of that. you see that? He treated the pagan eunuch with respect. Can I say it again? He didn't jump to anger nor apathy. As an ambassador of God, he treated the one he was in opposition with with respect. I believe this is so key because, see, Daniel knew who was still in control. Remember how he started the book? God's still working here. This is the season. In fact, I want to put something on the screen. I want you to say it with me out loud. Ready? When you trust the sovereignty of God, it changes your perspective. Who are the ones who generally get angry or apathetic? And overwhelmed by the culture. It's believers who forgot for a moment that God still knows what he's doing. Amen. That God's still in control. Satan has his field day right now, but he's not going to win in the end. We know the end of the book. We know who wins. And instead of being angry and protesting over here or Twilling our thumbs and just wishing we could hurt and get out of the world maybe the right perspective is is we need to remember that our god is still king of kings and lord of lords he's still sitting on the throne he's not he's not lost an ounce of authority he still knows the end from the beginning he's still alpha and omega the beginning he's still got this thing under control and we can be an ambassador and have respect come on somebody Because our perspective changes when we realize he's still there. How many glad he's still there? Look at Romans chapter 5 real quickly with me. Here's what Romans 5 says. And and it's building up to Romans 8 that says, All things work to the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. How many believe God can make good come out of the bad? Here's how it happens. Here's the process. Romans chapter 5. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. When's the last time you saw somebody get on social media thanking God that they lived in such a time as this for the glory of God? You don't see that very often, do you? It's what the Bible says we should be doing. Glorying in the suffering. Glorying in the opposition. You say, how's that, Pastor? Why would we glory in this? Here's why I look at what the Bible says. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces, say it, perseverance. And perseverance produces what? Character. Character. And character, hope. And this hope does not put us to shame. Hey, you want to know how to live in this world and not have to be ashamed of the way you acted? Keep your eyes on God. Persevere. Keep your character and live on the hope that you know Jesus Christ is still in authority and one day he will return. And until then, we've got a job to do to live our lives on mission. He knows what he's doing and he called us for such a time as this. This hope we do not have to be ashamed because God's love has been poured out on us through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Amen? Here's your big takeaway. This is why we're going to do this study for the next few weeks, and we're diving into Daniel and his friends because, listen, I believe this with all my heart. Godly character, you ready? Influences godless culture. Godly character. Can I say it this way? The reason you were born when you were and the reason you've been saved by God's amazing grace for those of you who are followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, can I say it to you? The reason you're here today and the reason God is going to invite you to become a follower of Jesus is because God believes you are the right choice for the day in which we live. Did you hear me? You are the right person for this time period in history to influence a godless culture for Jesus. There's no accident here. If you believe there's an accident, you don't trust the sovereignty of God. You're here for such a time as this. God's raising this church up for such the time is this, Daniel 1, 9. God granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Stop for a moment. How did Daniel treat the chief eunuch? He treated him with respect. What did God make sure Daniel received from the eunuch in return? Kindness and compassion. God favors character. Look with me at the remaining verses there in 19 and 20. The king, this is after three years after this event. They'd gotten through their indoctrination, their training. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, interviewed them. And among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend to the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them, and I want everyone to shout these next three words here and online. Ready? He found them. 10 times better. How much? 10 times better. If you say it one more time, I believe you'll actually say, tell me you're listening. Ready, here we go. 10 times better than all of the magicians in the land of Babylon. That's what God did because they responded as an ambassador. They lived out godly character. God gave them favor with godless leaders, and they became the influencer. In fact, let me tell you a little bit of the end of Nebuchadnezzar's story right now. Daniel would be so influential in Nebuchadnezzar, so would his three Hebrew buddies, that before the book of Daniel is done, old Nebuchadnezzar will be declaring there's no God like the God of Daniel. There's no God like the God of the Hebrews. Amen. That wouldn't have happened had they not acted with character.